This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 156. Oh my gosh, what a dream it is for me to bring this episode to you. I got to hang out with someone that I have such deep respect for, whose work I have followed for a while, and who has been such an influence in my work and the work that we get to do together. Dr. Stuart Schenker, the author of one of my favorite books of all time, in fact, the only adult book on the holiday gift guide, Self-Reg, How to Help Your Child and You Break the Stress Cycle and Successfully Engage with Life. Dr. Schenker is Canada's leading expert in the psycho physiological theory of self-regulation. You know how you dream of like meeting your heroes and you imagine how they'll be and what they'll be like? I have been able to interview a number of people that I have such deep respect for on this podcast. And this was one of those where I, as I was coming to this interview, was so nervous because I love him. And let me tell you, he is as magical as I ever dreamed him to be. He was so warm and present and kind. Truly, truly a dream episode that I'm really excited to bring to you. Before we dive in, I want to let you know that we had so many questions leading up to this episode because I asked you for what you would want to hear in an episode about self-regulation with kiddos. And we got so many questions that we decided to do a free webinar series. We're doing a webinar. I'm going to offer it at five different days in time so that hopefully you can find a time that works for you to come on live and hang out with me and dive into this. We're going to talk about what it looks like to calm the nervous system and do this work with kids. In December, we talked about calming our own nervous system as adults and what self-reg practices can look like for us as adults. In this webinar series, we are talking about what this looks like with kiddos. So, From what you're listening to in this podcast episode, we're going to dive deeper live with me. You can head on over to seedwebinar.com to find the day and time that works for you. We have two webinars next week and three the following week. Find a time where you can come on live because at the end, I will be doing a Q&A where you get to ask your questions. 
Head to seedwebinar.com to find the time that works for you for this totally free webinar. I can't wait to hang out with you live and dive deeper into this jazz. For now, enjoy hanging out with this human that I am so grateful to have had the pleasure of getting to hang out with, Dr. Stuart Schenker. All right, folks, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, Alyssa Blass Campbell. feels so intense to be on this journey and feel like there's so much work to do and maybe you're bringing things from your own childhood or maybe co-parenting is a challenge and you're trying to figure out how to navigate that. Maybe at each age and stage you're like, wait, Alyssa, how do I do this? This new thing is coming up and I need support. As folks were coming into our Tiny Humans Big Emotions and Reparenting courses, I found myself wanting to guide them through the courses. So not just give you the information, but walk you through step-by-step how to implement this in everyday life. I wanted a comprehensive space where we could continue to pour in resources and have bonus webinars and workshops and give you the opportunity to connect not just with our team, but with other folks who are doing this work too, who have committed to raising emotionally intelligent humans and want to walk alongside you in this journey. As I was dreaming about this, I realized we can make it happen. I'm so excited about our Village Membership Program, where we're going to be walking you through this work, a space where you get to bring your biggest questions. As our social media grew, it just became too much for me to do in DMs and in messages, and I wanted to create a spot where my whole team can pour into you, where I can show up live and walk alongside you. We're dreaming up so many fun ways to support you inside the membership and some exclusive deals for our members. The membership signup goes live on January 22nd, so mark your calendars. The signup will be open for less than two weeks, so reach out, send us an email, support at seedandsow.org, or come on over to Instagram and ask your questions. Let's dive into this. We want to make sure you are ready to go when signups launch so that you don't miss out on this opportunity. I want to support you in doing this work every day. Mark your calendar for January 22nd to dive into community in our village membership, the space that I'm really excited to be able to raise my tiny human in. January 22nd, mark your calendar now. Voices of Your Village. Today I'm here with Dr. Stuart Schenker, who has asked me to call him Stuart, and that's hard for me because the respect I have for <laughs> you is outrageous. 
I, when I was preparing for this interview, is going through not just the questions in our community, but I found myself being like, I don't want an hour of your time. I want like a lifetime of learning from you. It was so hard to condense all of like, oh, if I get an hour, what questions do I ask? Uh, your book, Self Reg. Uh, the full title, Self-Reg, How to Help Your Child and You Break the Stress Cycle and Successfully Engage with Life. It was the first time, I was teaching infant toddler at the time when it came out and got it right in 2016. And I was like, oh my gosh, it finally spoke to what I was experiencing as an infant toddler teacher at the time. And I actually had a kiddo in my classroom who had just started and she had, when she was born, was in the NICU for a little while. And when she came into my classroom, we had like a real pretty like quickly immediate connection to each other. We just got each other from the get-go. And she had was one of my most challenging kids, for sure. And I was hearing from my like admin that I needed to let her cry a little bit more. And just things that didn't feel right for me. Interesting, yeah. And then I read your book and I was like, ooh, and I passed it along to my administration. And I was like, this is what it is. This is what I'm trying to do. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> oh, it was such a game changer. Can you share with our village before we dive in a bit about your background and kind of what led you into this work? Uh, well, you know what? Uh, let's start with the story you just told. Uh, I got trained in psychiatry by uh, an American psychiatrist called Stanley Greenspan. And Stan did a study back in 1989-90 with Stephen Porges and Georgia Deganji. And they went into the NICU and they were looking at uh, preemies that were really struggling. And what they did was they reduced as many stressors as they could. So I'll give you one example. Um, as you know, uh, in a NICU, you've got all these alarms that are going off. And, uh, you know, it's code red and all the, all the staff uh, rush over to, say, a, a preemie whose oxygen level has dropped below 93%. And so what uh, Stan did was they got rid of the alarms and they used haptic uh, signals, the things that we have on iWatches now. And they coached the nurses, you know, when you get one of these alarms, very calmly just you know walk over so what we want to do is we want to really lower the stress as much as we can on these babies and the results were astonishing and the results were that the babies all started to put on weight started to thrive and they cut the average length of uh stay in the in the NICU in half so that was my introduction to this and I had been studying something called self-regulation. It was the perfect example of a theory that was developed by an American at the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, and the rest is where we are today, self-reg. Yeah. So, Alyssa, it, is that a good enough answer? Oh, I, I fully accept it, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. And now, I mean, you are knee-deep in self-reg for sure with so many different things that you are doing up in, in Canada, yes, in Toronto? Yeah. Uh, actually, we just launched an international. We're now around the world. Awesome. That's so rad for everyone around the world. One of the biggest questions that came in from folks was what's the difference between self-regulation and self-control? And yeah. this is very much highlighted in your book, if you want to give us a little overview. So it's a really interesting question, actually, because when I came back to Canada, uh, so I had been working on 
a, a theory that was developed for mechanical systems. Uh, they were looking at self-regulating, basically, computers. How can you design a computer that will learn and regulate itself uh, with different uh, stimuli? And so everything I did was on this, what's called a psychophysiological definition of self-regulation, which means how we manage stress. I'll come back to that one second, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, so when I came back to Canada, I, I was writing about this, uh, but I was really writing about the psychophys. And somebody from the Ministry of Education got in touch with me, and they had self-regulation on their report card. And the idea was uh, to tell parents that your kid was either uh, really great at self-regulation, uh, not so great, or really needed to work on it. And I looked at this, I was kind of horrified because I was thinking as a parent, I wouldn't know what to make of this. Uh, and in fact, it would probably, you know, like I have two kids that uh, would never ever get anything other than an N needs to work on this. <laughs> but it, it, it was grounded in a theory that was totally alien to all the work I've been doing. And it was really a version of self-control that your kid has to learn how to manage, uh, monitor and manage their emotions, uh, their um, attention. And, you know, I was thinking about that and I was thinking, well, you know, that's pretty hard for me. And I was an adult uh, to ask a little kid to do this is, you know, it's a stretch, but there's a deeper issue. Uh, there's a reason why I think we need to stick with the original definition, which is very different from self-control. And the reason is this, all kids self-regulate. They do it probably before birth, but certainly at birth. And what happens at the moment of birth is a, a, a newborn is overwhelmed with stress. The stress of, you know, breathing, temperature, light, sound, all these things that they were really sheltered from inside the womb. And so they start to manage their stress right away. And if you're a pediatrician or someone like you who teaches this, we have certain warning signs. If a child is sleeping all the time, like 16, 18, 20 hours a day, that's a warning sign for us. If the child refuses to engage with us, um, really shuts down, that's a warning sign. And those are primitive ways of dealing with stress. And they're what we call maladaptive. And what we mean by that is that a maladaptive way of dealing with stress might work for a moment, but it creates more stress down the road. And all of the work I was doing was with uh, young children on the spectrum. And typically, uh, these kids find social stress more than they can handle. And so they do things like gaze avert. Uh, gaze aversion is actually a way of, of self-regulating, but it's maladaptive. And the reason it's maladaptive is because kids really need to engage with their primary caregivers to learn language, uh, to develop their emotions, their emotion recognition. And so by shutting out the other, uh, by shutting out the caregiver, what was happening was they were dealing with their stress in the moment, but it was creating an awful lot of stress a couple of years down the road when they needed language, when they needed mind reading. And so all of the work we were doing was really trying to go back in time to the original psychophys definition, which is basically how you manage stress. Do you manage stress 
in a way that is growth promoting or in a way that actually impairs growth. And that's what self-reg is all about. This reminds me in our village, we call it coping mechanisms versus yeah. coping strategies. Yeah. And our mechanisms being those like numbing agents. That Yes, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, exactly right. Yeah. So for folks tuning in, like that's, that's the language that we often use around that. And uh, when we're looking at this, what is your body? Can you break down for folks? What's your body going through throughout the day that affects your nervous system? You mentioned like a newborn comes out and it's like lights and sounds and so much stimuli. How does this affect your ability to self-regulate throughout the day? So that's a great question. Um, and I don't know if you can do this for your listeners. Uh, we use a chart uh, that was uh, developed by an American psychologist called Bob Thayer. It's called a Thayer Matrix. And, and you can download it for free from our website. And it's a really great way for parents to see where their kids, uh, where their kid is in terms of how much energy they've got and how much tension they've got. And so basically, let's start with a you know, a fundamental question. So I've used this term, you know, babies being assaulted by stress. But maybe people are going to be confused by that because, you know, you think of stress, you think of, you know, the stress of a job or money. Um, So how do we call these as stress? And to understand this, we have to go back to the very original definition of what a stress is. This goes back to the beginning of the 20th century. And a stress is anything that requires us to burn energy, glucose, in order to stay within some sort of uh, what we call a functional range. So I'll give you an example. Our bodies are designed uh, to maintain an an average internal body temperature of around 98.6. In the original example, when he was explaining what stress is, the guy who invented this, Walter Bradford Cannon, said cold temperature is a stress. It's a stress because it triggers energy-burning reactions in the body, like shivering, teeth chattering, which generate heat. And that keeps that internal body temperature around 98.6. So anything that requires us to burn energy, and I'll explain what that means in one second, anything that requires that is a stress. It could be a physical stress. It could be an emotional stress, social stress. When we get with older children, we start to work on cognitive stress and pro-social stress. So five kinds, different domains of stress. What happens when you have a stressor? Well, some stress is really good, right? So, so we want our children to, have, to be able to deal with stress. You know, stress of exercise, the stress of going to school. These are beneficial stresses. The problem is when they are overstressed, when it's too much stress. And to understand what's going on here, when you have a stress, it triggers something, I don't want to go too technical, but it's some, It's called the, the autonomic nervous system, and it has two branches, two components, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic. The sympathetic nervous system, what it does is it's, it, it triggers, if you have a stress, it triggers a hormone that raises your heart rate. So think about when you get stressed, right? And you, you know, stress of exams, you can really feel your heart beating. And that's exactly what's going on with those premiums I was talking about. They had very, very high heart rates. And that's expensive. That's using up an awful lot of glucose. And then we have another system which counteracts that. And it has a different set of hormones. 
So that's the parasympathetic. And what it does is it brings your heart rate back down. When a kid has too much stress in their lives, when they're overstressed, that, that mechanism for bringing them back down wears out. It, it loses its elasticity. And it gets harder and harder for them to recover, to restore, to repair cells, to, to digest their food. The reason why Stan's uh, NICU research was so important was by reducing the stress, they were giving that parasympathetic system a chance to recover. What we find is in 100% of the cases of the kids that we worked with that were having trouble, they had a parasympathetic nervous system that was exhausted. They had way too much stress in their lives. And, you know, if, if you're going to yell at them or you're going to try to punish them, you're just going to add to their stress load. Instead, you got to figure out why is this little kid so stressed? What are the stresses that my uh, one-month-old, that my one-year-old, what, are, what kind of stresses are putting such a heavy load on their heart? And you know what? We can always figure this one out. You just have to become a stress detective. I like that, a stress detective. By the way, I was, I, I, I was, teasing, you, I was teasing you before we started about being a baby whisperer. <laughs> but in my experience, there is such a thing. Stanley Greenspan was a baby whisperer. And baby whisperers have this sort of intuitive awareness of when a baby is overstressed and why the baby's overstressed. Uh, and that's why they're so effective uh, because knowing what they're seeing, they can now begin to reduce the stress load on this kid and then the kid does better. Yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. 
let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It. Yeah, I think, you know, after working with hundreds of kids, especially infant toddler, it's a skill you can develop. <laughs> um, yeah. When we chat about this in our village, we talk about it as like a sensory bank and then withdrawals. Yeah, right? that's great. And uh, that's that's really good. Yeah, thank you. And for me, it was helpful to like have that visual because the withdrawals column before like diving into this work didn't make sense. Like you said, like stressors where we think of stress in my life and I'm like, oh, I'm stressed. It's not like, oh, the lights are too bright or there's sound in the background that comes up for me, you know? And so when we were breaking this down about kids, I think one of the things that's key is noting like, what are those stressors that maybe we don't think of as adults as categorized stress? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And one of the, one of the things, can I give you a great story? Please. (laughs) Okay. So so we were, we had a family come to see us at our clinic and uh, they had a, a young son he was about 14 years old he was on the he was asperger's and uh, they came to see us because he refused to have thanksgiving dinner with grandma who'd come all the way out of town uh, and he went to his room wouldn't come out and so they felt that he was being really antisocial and he was rejecting the family and um and so they came to us as sort of you know family in crisis and so we're sitting around the table and we're just chatting, um, you know, just to get to know each other. And our mental health uh, clinician said to him, uh, so what'd you do last night? And he said, well, he, the whole family had gone to some famous um, burger joint, uh, steak joint, and uh, everybody had steak except him. And he said, boy, it, it sure looked good though, those steak. And so she said to him, well, why didn't you have a steak then? he had a hamburger instead and he said he looked at her like she was an idiot and he said you know and he made a gesture like this with a knife and fork and she said to him you mean the knife and fork bothered you with the steak he said yeah she said why and it's the sound of the knife of the cutlery on the plate he was very very sensitive to he had something called misophonia so she said to him is that why you eat the hamburger and he again he looked at her and he said you know like oh duh you eat it with your hands and so you know the penny dropped and she said is that why you didn't have uh dinner with with grandma because everybody was using cutlery and he said of course he said i always have dinner with the family when they have finger food so (laughs) you know it was a wonderful moment when we saw that you know here he had this heightened sensory response to something that you and I wouldn't even notice. But for him, it was like somebody dragging their fingernails on a blackboard. And it was really, really strong aversive. And so what he was doing was he was trying to protect himself. He was trying to self-regulate. It was maladaptive because he was, he was you know, creating all this family uh, tension. And the solution was, it was one of those things where we never got around to therapy. All we did when we said to mom, you know, let's switch to paper plates. And, uh, you know, if we want, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, there's actually other things that you can do too to reduce the, the stress load on a kid. But it's fascinating how once you start to think about this, you start to realize that what you thought was a misbehavior 
is in fact a stress behavior. And as soon as you see that, everything changes. Your whole attitude changes. And now you're on the pathway to recovery, to, to, to a healthy trajectory. Yeah, you get to see the kid differently. Yes, you see the kid differently. Um, one of the lines in your book that is, uh, I keep it right at my desk, is if a child is in a depleted state, he's going to find it much harder to resist an impulse. For me, this was like a reminder that I need over and over to yeah. fill that sensory bank. Um, yeah. But when when I'm thinking of, we, we often get this question from folks that it's like, well, my kid knows not to hit and they can tell me that I shouldn't hit my brother. I shouldn't do this behavior outside of the moment, but they're still doing yeah. it. How do I kind of like break that cycle of dysregulation so that kids can have a more regulated nervous system throughout the day is a big question that comes up in our village. So you just said two things there that I think are huge. So the first thing is, right, we call it reframing the kid's behavior. So what we tell all of our parents and all of our teachers is that when you get any kind of behavior that, you know, you think is inappropriate, whatever, first ask yourself why, and then ask yourself why now. And the reason we do that is it sort of makes a pause so you don't react. Instead, you know, we get that little moment where we can just reflect. Now, the second part of your question is that when a child's overstressed, and those stresses are going to be, they can be, let's take a kid that's in school and a kid who's very sensitive to noise or to other kids, or here's a real interesting one. A lot of the children that we worked with had what's called poor body sense, poor proprioception. And what that means is for most of us, you know, I can sit on any kind of chair and I can find myself, you know, a position where I'm comfortable. It doesn't have to be, you know, like really padded or whatever. But for a kid that has poor proprioception, just sitting up on the carpet can actually be a huge stress. And so what happens is, you know, it's got a wonderful teacher, fun children, let's all sit on the carpet and we're going to have story time. And he starts to um, poke other kids and he, he refuses to sit still. And we don't stop and ask ourselves, why is he doing this now? And we don't consider, well, maybe it's that he feels claustrophobic with other children. Maybe he feels unsafe in his own body. And so when we worked with kids like this, so what we found was if we could change the seating, if we could, you know, find a seating that he felt more secure, if we could do some exercises so he could feel in touch with his body or whatever. Once we go down this road, then, um, then we don't get these disruptive behaviors. Now, there's another part here, and this is sort of like the hidden part of, you know, I want to come back to you being a baby whisperer. So we have a channel uh, a brain-to-brain -brain channel with a kid. And it's called, now the term they use is the interbrain. And so it's a, it's my, a system deep inside my brain, it's called the limbic system, is hooked up with, a, with the same system in the child. If I feel at all irritated, annoyed, aggravated with the kid, it doesn't really matter what I say. 
because my limbic system sends its own message. And it sends the message, I'm really pissed off, I find you annoying, you're a disturbance. And so without meaning to, I can have all, I can be saying all the right things and I can be smiling, but my tone of voice or my eye gaze, it's sending a very different message. And when a kid is overstressed already, that's all he hears. He doesn't hear the words. All he hears are the limbic cues. Uh, and so what we find is once we start to do this, once we start to reframe our, when our perceptions of a kid, our own anxiety really just disappears. We become calm, and those are the messages that we send to the child. We literally share our calmness with him. He picks up that calmness. And then, by the way, uh, we've gone into situations where you would not think this was possible, and it always is. Yeah, it's awesome. Those mirror neurons are so rad, <laughs> can be so rad. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> uh, exactly. And so for folks tuning in to that, like this might be something they didn't grow up with and they might be building their own self-reg skills as yeah. parents, as teachers, as caregivers. What does this look like if they're finding themselves in a dysregulated state? What are tools that they as an adult can tap into so that those mirror neurons can co-regulate so that we can pr bring the calm? You know, we've been overwhelmed recently with calls from America you guys are undergoing a real, real spike in being kids. But guess what? You know, your country's gone through a very stressful experience and mom and dad are stressed. And, and you know, you're stressed to begin with. And now we've got all, you know, the stress of COVID, the stress of politics. And so what's happening is it's a sort of, uh, you know, we use a term in uh, self-reg, uh, it's called red brain. And red brain is when your strong negative emotions, let's say anxiety, are running the show. So what we have to do is, you know, we really want to help our kids. We see this really punishing uh, stress load on, I'm, I'll just use Canadian kids now. This is serious. But I can't do anything unless I can first address the self-reg needs of mom and dad or of the teacher. And so our slogan is self-reg starts, you know, the emphasis is on self. It starts with self. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I think so many of us need to hear it. I had the privilege of working with a colleague to create what we call the collaborative emotion processing method. And it's five components and only one is adult child interactions. And that's the other four are about us. That's, <laughs> and, that's really interesting. And I think that we often overlook that, right? We'll, we're like, what do we say to the kid? What do we do in the moment with the kid? And when we leave ourselves out of the equation, it doesn't super matter what we do in the moment with the kid. <laughs> so did you, have you done that with educators as well? Yeah. That's yep. good. Yeah. With yep. early childhood birth to five and with yep. parents. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what my work is based around. That's really great. Yeah, thanks. It's a joy to get to do. Uh, and so for folks tuning in who either have multiple kids or are in a classroom state, how do you help multiple kids that are in a state of dysregulation, like you're at the dinner hour and you're getting stuff ready and it's maybe after school and things are moving a lot and it feels like chaos or in a classroom setting when, I mean, I had nine one-year-olds, right? There was like always some sort of stimuli somewhere happening. Uh, and so what does this look like? How do we help folks who have multiple kids at one time to support? So, um, 
there's sort of two different ways of answering that, what we do and what we don't do. Um, so let's start off with what we don't do. So what we're not going to do is obvious, you know, we're not going to raise our voice. We're not going to yell. Uh, but also we're not going to resort to, say, uh, devices as a way of uh, occupying the kid. And the problem with that is, uh, we, so we have lots and lots of research on this now, um, but basically you're avoiding the situation instead of, you know, addressing it head on. Now, um, when we go into, let's take as an example, uh, we do a lot of work in schools that are in a state of high distress. And so you go into a classroom and you've got, I don't know, 20, 25 kids, uh, and they're really bouncing off of each other. And the, there's a very strong likelihood that they're coming from family backgrounds, which are dysregulating in their own right. So the first lesson here is that you're not going to, there, there, there's no magic bullet here. There's no, you know, I wish I had, you know, like some magic word that would get everybody to calm down. So what we do is we use a, a Spanish word, palatinamente. And what it means is that step by step, you're going to get there. And so what we start to do is we look at our environment, whether it's, you know, at the home or or in a classroom, and we start to figure out what are the what are the things that I can do to reduce the sensory load in this environment. Now I can start to introduce. Okay, so maybe what you're going to do is you're going to you know reduce the lighting or have some comfortable seating, different options. Now what we're going to do is we're going to start to look at are there activities or experiences that we can bring in that the kids find calming that they find regulating. So it could be music. I have a friend called Rafi. Uh, and so we found Rafi's music uh, has always been magic, has this magical impact on children. But the biggest one is the following. So to teach this, we use a video by a guy called Michael Jr. And he's a Catholic comedian. You can download this. And he's, uh, he, he's making a home movie of his, uh, the birth of his daughter. And talk about uh, a newborn that's overstressed. She's lying on a cold table. She's scared. Uh, it's, she's cold and she's really, really dysregulated. So it's worth downloading this just to see what happens. In a split second, he forgets all about, he's making a movie and he shifts into a dad who's wants to protect his his child and he starts a mantra and he says to her it's okay sweetheart daddy's here and the kid stops crying instantly now she doesn't know what the hell he's saying she's an hour old um but the tone of voice uh the tone of voice that he lowers his pitch a couple of notes he slows it down and what she's responding to is his voice and what we find over and over is that you have a magical tool as a parent, as a teacher, and that's your voice. Slow it down, calm it down. If, you, if, if you're a parent, then a little bit of touch, if you know what kind of touch they like, uh, do they like, you know, like scratching or whatever, kids are all different. But what we're going to do is we're going to totally shift from, from, any kind of disciplinary response to soothing. 
what can I, I know you're overstressed now, what can I do? Um, and if it's siblings that are after, it, uh, I've got two kids and I'm, you know, I'm Dr. Self-Reg and trust me, I can't do it with my own kids. Sometimes separation works. <laughs> but the key here is always going to be when you're afterwards, when you're processing, you know, what was that all about? Um, trying to figure out what were the stresses that led up to this and there's always answers and then we can move forward and that's what we mean by palatina mente the next time you know i'll know that i had all the warning signs maybe this wasn't such a great idea to take them to chuck e cheese or some i don't know what you got in vermont um, <laughs> but um but you know, it, you know so we're constantly reflecting on what what happened and then moving forward. I love that you noted like reducing the stimuli and and our role in doing that. I know as a teacher, it it's so hard to tap into that in the moment, right? When there's like chaos around, I'm yeah. feeling chaotic inside. Yeah, that's and, exactly right. And so the but for me, like even just lowering the lights a bit, if you have the ability to do that, it's reminds me of Michelle Obama. Uh, when but the opposite, when they go low, you go high. When they go high, I'm going low. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's they, great. That's I love it. You know, and, and really being able to do that. It's so hard to do in the moment because our insides are saying to do something else. Uh, so, and it's, uh, Alyssa, yeah. can I give you another story? Please. Okay, so this is in the book, and this one's stuck with me always. Uh, we had a mom come to see us, uh, and she'd had a wonderful relationship with her child, and the kid hit puberty and everything fell apart. And that's not uncommon. Right. I mean, it's uh, that's a different lecture. You know what's going on in a teenage brain. It's 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 a bit chaotic. But really, the driver in all this was the reason they came to see us was that she was having these fights with her daughter every single night. And from her perspective, the daughter was nuts. It was totally irrational. And and and. And so she was going to explain, you know, that, you know, you're being irrational or, um, and then it always started off with the best of intentions. And then two hours later, doors slammed and, and they hadn't gotten anywhere. And this was night after night. So finally, uh, she came to see us because the daughter was starting to uh, self-harm, to cut. And uh, so we're sitting around the table and we said, okay, so here's what we want you to do. Uh, don't say anything. Okay. So <laughs> we're not going to, we're not going to lecture. We're not going to explain. We're not going to talk. And if you feel absolutely compelled to say something to your daughter, tell her that you love her and that's it. And within a couple of days of her first session with us, the daughter had asked, we have a, a clothing line up here and all the kids were wearing what's called a root sweatshirt and it was a pink root sweatshirt and she wanted one of these so mom was a working mom and she took off her lunch to buy her the sweatshirt and they didn't have pink ones they only had gray so she bought the gray one this is a 13 year old kid so you can imagine the scene that they had all hell breaks out at bedtime again and mom wants to yell at her. I won't swear on on, uh, on your podcast, but she, it was not nice what she wanted to say to her. But she said, ah, but the doctor said, I'm not allowed to say anything except I love you. So she went out, she left the bedroom, she went out into the hall and she did some uh, breathing exercises that we talked about, calm herself down. 
And then she came back in and turned off the lights in the bedroom. And the kid was sitting on the bed. Now, when a child's in this state, you know, this is typical, what I'm describing, it's very, it's very typical for, say, a three-year-old, not so typical for a 13-year-old. But the thing is about the brain, when the brain is overstressed, and, you know, I think about it, 13 years old, you've got a lot of stresses going on in life, a lot of social stresses. The brain actually regresses to the neural state of a three-year-old. The needs that that kid had, that teen had, were the needs of a three-year-old. So what she needed was she needed mommy to be soothing. So we have a real problem when kids go into this state. And the problem is they can't actually process what we're saying. And the more we talk, the more that talking becomes a stress. Um, And so, you know, we're doing our best as a parent. We're going to explain, you know, and you really are pretty uh, and you're so bright and you're such a, you know, all of those words are stressors in their own right. And that's why we didn't want her to talk. And so what we wanted her to do was we wanted her to, you know, she turned off the lights, but the other thing we wanted to do was of all the mechanisms for dealing with stress, the number one, the most important is called social engagement. It's that connection with mom and dad or grandparent or best friend. But in that overstressed state, she'd broken off social engagement. She'd broken, she'd created this barrier between her brain and mom's brain. So we want to get that connection cooking again. And the best way to do it is through physical touch. But we have a problem here because language itself has, um, it, it's, it's suppressed and you need permission. You can't just barge in and start to touch the kid. That will just send the kid right around. So you have to get her permission. How do you do that when the kid can't talk? Now, language may get blocked, but nonverbal communication doesn't. This is the initial, the original communication between a baby and a, and, and a caregiver. So gestures, eye gaze, all those things. So what we... Uh, what we asked her to do was uh, we want her permission to touch her. We want her permission. Basically, this was a kid who loved, when she was a child, loved being scratched. Uh, okay, so ki- kids, you know, they, they melt when we get the right kind of physical touch with them. So what we suggested was um, you ask the child, uh, and the ideal way to do this is put your finger inside their fist. And you just say, would you like me to scratch your back? If you would, squeeze my finger. And that's exactly what she did. And, uh, you know, she gets back a little squeeze. Now, what you've done is you've now reestablished that interbrain connection. You've now reestablished social engagement. The kid no longer feels alone is no longer frightened and this is the most frightening thing there is for a child is to feel that i have to deal with this by myself so mom is they're sitting in the dark the child is lying on the bed now mom is scratching her back just the way she did when she was three and within a few minutes 15 minutes the kid is ready to go to sleep 
Now, these were fights that were going on for two hours. And the last thing she says is, she says, I need to sleep now. I love you, mommy. And this is very interesting. First of all, her language has come back. Now she can, she can use language to tell mom that I'm tired now, I want to sleep. But the I love you, mommy, is she has this experience is lodged deep inside her. It's something called the hippocampus. It's, it's, it's in her deep brain. The memories of when mom soothed her. Okay, so mom's saying, holy shit, this is really, this is magical stuff. Um, you know, I got the kid to sleep and, and, and there was no shouting. And now mom starts to feel guilty about it. So she's rehearsing what she's going to say to the child the next morning. And she's going to say to her, look, uh, I'll leave work early. I'll pick you up from school and we'll go to the outlet and I'll fly, we'll find the pink sweatshirt. And the next morning, the kid comes downstairs, smiling, wearing the gray hoodie. So it's a really important lesson for us because what we thought was the stress wasn't. Um, the real stress that was going on here was the stress of um, trying to navigate her way through teenage dynamic, social dynamics and not having that sort of anchor with, with mom that she'd had all her life. And so uh, what we're, uh, you know, when, when we talk about this distinction I made between maladaptive and, and adaptive or growth-promoting ways of dealing with stress, the most adaptive, the most beneficial way of dealing with stress is going to mom and dad. Um, and I had this experience with my own son last night, who's 19, and still needed, he needed, he, he resisted talking until he started to talk. So, um, so there's all kinds of layers here. And I guess the part I find, uh, the, the part I find most hopeful is that you know, we've seen an awful lot of kids and thousands and thousands and thousands. And I never once seen a kid who didn't have the same need and never seen a kid that um, didn't respond to having his, his or her stress lowered and reestablishing that connection, that, that brain-to-brain connection. So that's what we do. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. 
Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Yeah, it's so powerful. And so many things came up for me. I I think one of the things that can be challenging in this is our desire to speed it up. Yes. Um, Yes. You know, we'll get folks who are like, okay, we have, we outlined five like phases of emotion processing. And our first four phases are just focused on connection and nervous system regulation. And the very last one is problem solving when we can access that language, right? I love it. (laughs) People will be like, okay, well, I did this. I did this. Like, check, check, check. And they're refusing coping strategies. Like, yeah, they might not be ready to tap into that yet. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, I love everything you just said. And it's, but it's so hard to wait (laughs) in the moment when we're like, well, I've done it. I've done everything I can do. And I like that you noted that it was okay for that mom to walk away and do some deep breathing. I think sometimes there's this feeling of if we walk away, the kid will feel abandoned or there'll be some sort of disconnection there. But the reality is we can't connect until we are regulated and in a space to connect. You're going to have to come work with us. Oh, uh, please. I, that's a dream. <laughs> and I, but I think that that is something that's so hard to do. And especially when we're looking at younger yeah. kids where maybe the two-year-old's following you as you take space and yeah. that it can be hard to regulate that nervous system to, to do this and to come back to a place of connection. Can you speak to what it looks like for some kiddos? And uh, I have a very different nervous system regulation than my husband, right? Yeah. And so he would love it if in the moment I would stop talking to him, I would give him a little space, let him regulate, and then we could come back together and connect when, when he's ready. And for me, I just I go into overdrive and I'm like, let me talk through it. Let me just fill all of the silence and have to work really hard not to do that. And so I'm a human who, like as a kid, really benefited from having a hug or having that deep touch. And now also in adulthood as well in, in different ways and for him he he benefited from having like a rocking chair to go to and get some vestibular input terrific 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 point uh so what does this look like in terms of figuring out who's the kid in front of me and what do they need for their regulation that for zach my husband if i were to touch him in that moment that's dysregulating and so how do you how do you navigate that so uh, we had this kid, uh, we got called into a school and, you know, we'd gone through our problem solving and, you know, we're the experts and he was 10 years old. And, uh, and we, we came to the conclusion that what he needed was he needed some quiet space to himself, not, uh, not a punishment room or anything like that. But we, we thought really what he needed was, you know, just, it was a little office off the principles of her office. So, you know, we we're convinced that we knew exactly what he needed. And and uh, we get called back a, a week or two later, and the kid is even worse. <laughs> and so, so, you know, we had this novel idea. Uh, let's ask him. <laughs> so we asked him, you know, um, you know, this doesn't seem to be working. Why, why not? 
um, because uh, he was a kid that we were quite certain was he was overly stressed by other children in in the classroom that's why he needed to break and he says to us the problem is i can't stand the quiet if you could put a radio inside this room for me I'll, and so we did we put a radio in and then he was fine and so one of the things that we learn and this is hard when you're dealing with little with infants so remember you know they don't have the language they can't tell us but they, they show us in all sorts of ways. And so what we learn how to do is we learn to read all kinds of little signs. And it could be, it could be their, the complexion, the, the color of their facial, uh, the skin on their face, that's a, or the back of their hands. That's a, a good indicator of when a child's overstressed. Or it could be their eye gaze. You know, we have all these little things. And... I, I suspect that that's what you're teaching. One of the things you're teaching is how to read these signs that are telling you, uh, you know, now for us, this is always a trial and error process. You know, we're going to try things. And we learned, we learned a couple of things, a couple of huge lessons. First of all, no two kids are the same. So every single kid has unique sensory thresholds uh, and sometimes you know they are bizarre like they're things that we would never have guessed but you know if you begin to uh, reframe look at the difference between misbehavior and stress behavior you can start to figure it out so that's the first lesson every kid's unique and the second le lesson is the little buggers change on you every week <laughs> so so you know what was a stress you know you had it all figured out last week and now you, you have to start all over again but um you know we learn how to read these signs and I'm going to guess that there are moments that even Zach wants a hug, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. the, so it's, it's really becoming responsive in the moment, you know, seeing that, that this is not a time for, this is not a time for me to hold you. This is not a time for me. This is a time to just maybe just be here quiet. So, you know, for us, it's kind of, it's a constant learning experience but we have certain indicators and the indicators are invaluable. One of them is what's my child like when they wake up in the morning? Are they smiling? Are they happy? What's my child like at bedtime? You know, is it easy for them to go to sleep? Is it, do they welcome the sleeping? They're, uh, you know, we look at things like their appetite, how uh, it's called remissity, you know, like the regularity of, you know, whatever they're doing. And, let me add what I think is one of the most important discoveries that we made. I don't know that this is in the book, in, in Self-Reg, it's in a later book. In so many of the families that we worked with, mom and dad or whoever were actually pretty good at this. Um, they were pretty good at figuring out what the child's sensory needs were that you know, it's called individual differences, figuring out, you know, how to respond. They were actually pretty good at this. And the problems started when the kid went off to say preschool or school. And here, what the issue is, is so we, we, we finally, we drew a distinction between what we call uh, robust and fragile attachment. So I can have 
uh, in robust attachment, basically what that means is that the kid is securely attached with his primary caregivers and I can switch the caregivers and that kid's going to do fine. That kid can deal with any range of new experiences or new interactions. Fragile is very different. So the fragile, these are kids that were in fact securely attached with mom and dad because mom and dad had learned how to avoid certain stresses, whatever. But when the kid entered into a school setting, so you now have an educator who maybe doesn't understand this child, doesn't have this background knowledge, or maybe even worse, who sees the child as misbehaving and needing discipline. And then what can happen is that it now looks like I have an attachment disorder with mom and dad. Uh, So an awful lot of the work that we do is trying to empower parents you know you have to if you see if you sense that your child's educator is really not responding to your child's needs go in and talk about it tell them what you know share experiences share and don't abandon you know like don't think that you know like i can just turn my child over no and and you know what I think this is true whether they're an older teenager or a young adult or a kid. So that's one of our big lessons. Yeah, I love that. And it gives parents that the advocacy role for advocacy. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I dig that. One thing that I am curious to hear your thoughts on the role of like crying and experiencing emotions, like I'm thinking of the work around emotional agility and ability to experience sadness without trying to rush it away or grief or frustration or anger. And when we reference in our work, we created, I fully made it up, but it helped me visualize. I call it the triangle of growth. And at the base of the triangle is our sensory, our sensory systems and then emotional development and language. The idea being that I want to support sensory regulation before we can work on emotional regulation, before we can talk and access language. And yeah, that's um, great. That's great. It was, uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of the visuals. It helps me. (laughs) Yeah. It's really, (laughs) really, really, really great. Thanks. Um, But so in this, when a kid is say, dad just left for work and they're crying and they're feeling sad. Um, Or when kids would get dropped off at school that we might feel this rush to like help them stop crying, to rush away that sadness. And so how do you balance the co-regulation and supporting of the nervous system regulation with allowing them to feel? You know, um, there's a real technical term for what you just described. It's called the affect diathesis hypothesis. And the point of it, is that, look, as parents, there are certain emotions that we are uncomfortable with. And so, and it's different for every family. So in my family, you know, if it was anything of a sexual nature, my dad was great. Oh, we can talk about sex, you know, and and I'm sure as a five-year-old, I knew more than most adults, but anger was a different issue. So uh, we weren't allowed to be angry. And so I could be having this wonderful uh, co-regulated experience with with my dad. And then, you know, you're a kid, right? And you get angry about something and he would just stop. Uh, You're not allowed to be angry. And so what happened was growing up, I had associations with anger, like that somehow 
it, I, I associate it with a kind of shame, like, like it was a shameful experience to be angry at somebody. And that's not healthy, right? So because, because you're going to get angry and you want to be able to express your anger. And so what we find when we work with families is that what you're describing, typically it's around emotions that they're uncomfortable with, right? That they try to short circuit the process. I love what you said before, right? You're going to speed it all up. No. So we don't get, we don't hit, we don't, but this is a baby or an infant that's, that's experiencing these emotions, working through them. And what they need from us is, of course, loving support. What they need for us is that feeling that, you know, I'm not going to leave you at this point. I'm not going to withdraw. I am not going to. I'm still here. Um, and I can be a supportive presence. But I have to allow that child, what you're talking about is allow that child to experience these different emotions um, and to work through these different emotions. And it's real hard, right? Like, uh, I mean, I find it really hard. Yeah, it's uh, really hard. <laughs> we yeah. have two we have two courses for parents and now we are only selling them together because we realize you can't do this work without both of them. One is our Tiny Humans Big Emotions course, like guiding uh, parents yeah, through this work. And then the reparenting course, which is the work of what makes me uncomfortable? What's coming up for me? How do oh, I you're do it? You're doing that, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this, like, I'm like, thank you for this answer. This is what we found is we <laughs> sold them separately. And now you can only get them together because we realized that's great. So many folks would come into Tiny Humans Big Emotions wanting to know what to do with their kid. And we would end up leading them also to reparenting <laughs> for what do we do with ourselves and what's making us feel so uncomfortable. Or maybe what's leading to us saying, "I," but I feel like they need to be punished. Or we were yes. working with someone who was like, yes. okay, I get all that. I'm going to help him regulate his nervous system. But what's the consequence? And it kept coming <laughs> back to that. <laughs> and we were like, oh, let's dive into why you feel like there needs to be a consequence. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I so yeah, thanks. it's just terrific. Yeah, thanks. I, but it's, I'm so glad that you kind of brought those in together that so many of us are going to have things coming from our childhood and our social programming and, and cultural context around what's allowed and what isn't. And uh, yeah. doing that work is hugely important. <laughs> you know, there's, um, I, I'm just reading a book right now um, by a guy called George Lakoff. Because I'm trying to understand what the hell's going on in the U.S. with the polarization. Um, and so, so what he talks about is he, he draws this distinction between two very different kinds of parenting styles. One of them is authoritarian and one of them is authoritative. And so I have this little kid and, you know, they're two years old and I'm already programming them to be a conservative or programming them to, you know, uh, or programming, programming them to be nurturing. And so what's happening is that the limbic system, which is, you know, driving everything in the early years of life is actually being wired by these early interactions. The problem that we have is that it's very difficult to the limbic system operates, we call it beneath the threshold of conscious awareness. So I can have these associations that, you know, Johnny's means that Johnny didn't try. That means that Johnny is lazy, didn't make the effort. Or I can have the opposite parenting style that says, no, 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 um, you know, there's something else going on. Johnny finds it over stressful for whatever. So 
how do we, when we see that these things are getting wired very early in life, how do we address this? How do we get past the polarization that you guys have got right now? And I think you just put your finger on it with your two courses. You do it through awareness. You become aware of these patterns. Um, and it's a real eye-opener for everybody to say, oh, my goodness. You mean I'm, I'm reacting the way my great-great-grandfather was? Um, uh, uh, you know, when, when we become aware of these things, that's when change starts. It's, Oh, thank you. I, that's so perfect. It literally are the method that I referenced earlier that we co-created Lauren and I collaborative emotion processing at the cornerstone of all of the components is mindfulness, which for me is awareness. Yeah, that's it. There you and, go. There yeah. You go. Oh, you're speaking to my heart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, we often get folks, we do work in sleep as well. Again, coming back to, we want to support folks with sleep. If we're going to do this work, if you're exhausted, this is like, a yeah. Problem. And, you know, we don't practice cry it out for, I think, quite obvious reasons, but I, we also get people who are in these two camps and it, it, we are working to find that gray area. And I think the key in parenting is in the gray area <laughs> and we it. want that it. black and white, you know, I we want it. the I like, do this, don't do this. And uh, I, I was just talking about this with social media. I was saying how I, I see this on social media a lot in accounts that are growing or being shared and going viral. And it's that black and white where it, that's a, there's a comfort in somebody saying, do this, don't do this. And I'm just never going to do that. I'm <laughs> always going to find that gray area. <laughs> and I think that it's so key to be able to pause and, 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 and take a good look around. So that's why we do why and why now. Yeah, I love, yeah, I love that. I love that. So, okay, again, I could, I, I don't want an hour. I want a lifetime of this. So <laughs> <laughs> where can folks find your work and, and access more tools from you? We'll link everything that you mentioned in here. We'll link it in the transcript, but where can folks find more and snag your books? So if you go onto the website, self-reg.ca, there's all kinds of things they can download for free. Uh, and some of the things they'll find really useful, like the stress inventory, where you start to learn that, oh my goodness, you know, these are stresses that I never would have dreamt. Like uh, we're going into Christmas now mm -hmm. and I've always had a nightmare. My kids get overly stressed by presents. Uh, and it was a real shock to, to, to discover that most kids get really stressed by presents. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So you go onto the website, you can get all kinds of free stuff. And the last book, the new book, I think it's a real important one because the very first, uh, there's three books here. It's a trilogy. So the first book was for teachers. The second book, the one you read, that's for parents. But the third book is, you know, the, the, the self-reg book is really about a child's social emotional needs. But what about learning? What about cognitive? What about intelligence? And so to me, uh, right from the start, I've always hated what's called determinism. I hate it with a passion. One of the things that uh, Stan taught me was when you do self-reg, you're not saying, you know, I can turn, you know, any child into a Bill Gates or, or, or Stephen Hawking. But what you are saying is that you never really know how smart a kid is, where their gifts are, what they're. And so what we want to do is we want to figure out what's holding my child back. What are, they're called limbic breaks. 
And if I can figure out those limbic brakes and release those brakes, guess what? That kid is going to blow you away. And so our final message is, so you can give them all the materials that we've done, but our final message that we want everyone to, to, to really take to heart is having spent my life doing this, I can now tell you that of the tens of thousands of children that I've seen, I have never, ever seen a bad kid. There isn't such a thing, okay? And so what I'm hoping for is if I can figure out, you know, what are the stresses with, these, with this kid? Uh, how can I release this? Oh, my goodness. You know, I have yet to have an experience where that child, you know, you see the child differently, and this new kid is going to blow you away. Oh, I love it. We'll link to all of those things for folks in the tran in the transcript if you're on the go or not able to jot things down right now. It was an absolute dream to get to meet you and hang out with you and get nerdy with okay. you. I had a lot of fun <laughs> with you. I have one question for you, okay? Please, please. Is that a tin roof? It is. <laughs> my house is from 1876. Oh my goodness, it's gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, no, it's we have been restoring it room by room. Um, yeah. Okay, so you can tell, you, you give a mes message to Zach from me. So to have a tin ceiling in a house in Canada, that makes you some sort of, uh, I don't know, superstar. <laughs> <laughs> I will let him know. Zach's background is in architecture and he's been restoring things. Room oh, it's just gorgeous. <laughs> Oh, thanks. You're, um, the surprise thing actually brought up one thing for me that I just wanted to share yesterday. I'm currently pregnant and... I thought you were going. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and my nephew, yesterday we were talking on the phone. I'm just in my, just entered my third trimester. And he was like, Aunt Liz, why aren't you finding out what you're having, a boy or a girl? And I was like, you know, I'm just excited for the surprise. <laughs> and he said... Oh, I am not a person who's excited by surprises. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I love that. <laughs> I got to use that. I use that for my next book. <laughs> right? So good. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with me. This is awesome. Okay. Keep it up, Alyssa. All right. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so, S-E-W. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. 
I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.